Hello and welcome to everyone. My name is Charlie and I serve as the Amarillo Campus Pastor for First Methodist Church. I want to say welcome to everyone, but I know many of you are barely recovering from your turkey-induced coma, but regardless of that, I do want to say Merry Christmas on this first Sunday of Advent. Now, Advent is the season, it's the week's leading up to Christmas in which we're invited to prepare for that important celebration of Christmas Day and Christ's birth. But today I want to ask you a question. Why, why do we need Advent? Why do we need all of those weeks leading up to Christmas? Why do we need help focusing on the, the reason for the season? Well, I can tell you one of the reasons is because many times Christmas gets hijacked by our modern day culture. We're, we're, we're tricked into believing that Christmas is really about running and going and shopping and doing and cleaning and preparing and, and inviting and, and do I need to continue? See, we get, we get hijacked into thinking that the Christmas is about all of those other things. So we need Advent. But we also need Advent because as joyous as Christmas is for children, many times it's, it's not as joyous. It's not as hopeful for us as adults. For many of us adults, Christmas is painful. Christmas is a time that we, that we grieve, a time that we experience hopelessness or depression or frustration or loneliness. I can tell you for me personally, every Christmas is a reminder of, of how many years it's been since one of my closest friends took their own life. So we need Advent because this time of year can be painful. And because I know it can be painful, I want to invite all of you who are listening uh, to take this Advent season as an opportunity to have an old-fashioned Christmas. To, to experience Christmas like we did Many of us did as, as kids. I mean, think about that. When you were a kid, Christmas was, was filled with, with hope. Christmas was all about hope. I don't know how many of you said this. I know I did. We, I would say things like, I hope I get that new toy for Christmas. Or I hope that uh, it, Grandma and Grandpa stay at our house this holiday season. Or, oh, I hope that it snows so we can get out of school just a few days earlier. Well, again, today I want to remind you that Christmas is about hope. We can have hope because our God is a promise-keeping God. Our God is trustworthy and true. So allow me to take a moment to read for you our, our scripture, our Advent scripture for this season. It says this in Jeremiah, The days are surely coming, says the Lord. When I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up out of the house of David. And he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. And this is the name by which it will be called. The Lord is our righteous. I love that scripture. And honestly, that, that scripture is fairly well known. I think a lot of people are familiar with that verse. And it's well known because it's a well-known promise of God. 
But what might not be as well known is the context in which that scriptural promise was given to the prophet Jeremiah. So I want to talk about that for just a moment, because just one chapter before the text that I just read, we read in Jeremiah 32, starting in verse one, we read these words. Listen to this. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the 10th year of King Zedekiah of Judah, which was the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar. At that time, the army of the king of Babylon was besieging Jerusalem. And the prophet Jeremiah was confined in the court of the guard that was in the place of the king of Judah, where King Zedekiah of Judah had confined him. Zedekiah had said, why do you prophesy and say, thus says the Lord, I'm going to give this city into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he will take it. King Zedekiah of Judah shall not escape out of the hands of the Chaldeans, but shall surely be given into the hands of the king of Babylon, and shall speak with him face to face and see him eye to eye. And he shall take Zedekiah to Babylon, and there he shall remain until I attend to him, says the Lord. Though you fight against the Chaldeans, you shall not succeed. So we read about this promise that God gave to Jeremiah, but based on our, our text that we just read, we find out that Jeremiah received that promise from the Lord while in prison. The context, the environment in which Jeremiah hears from God and receives a promise from God was confinement. And what makes matters worse is that the person who put Jeremiah there was his very own king. Jeremiah's own king, King Zedekiah, put him in prison. So we need to ask ourselves that question. Why was Jeremiah in prison? Well, put plainly, Jeremiah was in prison for faithfulness. Jeremiah was in prison because he was willing, willing to tell the truth even when it wasn't easy to hear, even when it might be a little painful to hear. Jeremiah tells King Zedekiah that the Lord had said, even though he fights against Babylon, he will not succeed and the king and the city will both be taken into captivity. Now, I don't know about you, but I find that as a great example for us today. I think it's a great example for us as believers in Jesus Christ to remember, to prepare that, that, that in this new year, as we share God's truth and as we're honest and, and we, we connect with those around us, that not everyone is going to receive the truth, even though we share the truth in love. I hope you know that that's our commandment. Our commandment is not just to, to speak the truth. We're called to speak the truth in love. We're called to share the truth in such a way that the only reason someone might reject that truth is because they don't want to receive it, not because of the manner in which we shared it. See, Jeremiah is locked up by his own king because he was faithful to the one true king. But in the midst of, of Israel's rebellion and the, and, and the besieging of Jerusalem and, and Jeremiah's imprisonment, he receives a promise. A promise from God. Jeremiah is told, in those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David. And he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. These are those places that are being besieged and attacked right now. And this is the name by which it will be called, the Lord is our righteous. For thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of Israel. 
And the Levitical priest shall never lack a man in my presence to offer burnt offerings, to make grain offerings, and make sacrifices for all time. See, Jeremiah receives a promise that God will make all things right. A promise that a day is coming when a righteous leader, a a true leader, a pure leader will rise up out of the lineage of David. A leader who will not only be a great king, but also a high priest. A leader will be revealed that will make all things right. And that is a, a powerful promise. Really, it's an amazing promise, but I think we we need to make sure that we don't forget the context in which Jeremiah received that promise. Because Jeremiah was, was told that promise by God while he was in prison, but not only was he in prison, but the city in which he was imprisoned was being besieged by the enemies of, of Israel, the Babylonians. It was in the midst of that captivity that God shared his promise. Now this is where this is where I think we can see the great compassion, the great kindness and comforting nature of our God and our Father in heaven. Because knowing how difficult it would be for Jeremiah to have hope in that promise, remember, uh, he's in prison. The city in which he's in prison is being besieged. The, the king, his own king, is the one who put him in prison. So given all of that context, it would be really hard, I think, for any of us, but especially for Jeremiah, to have hope in that promise that he was given. So in great kindness, God gives Jeremiah a remembrance to help him cling to that hope, to that promise. I want to read for you here. Uh, It says, Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came to me. Hanamel, son of your uncle Shalom, is going to come to you and say, Buy my field that is in Anathoth, for the right of redemption by purchase is yours. Then my cousin Hanamel came to me in the court of the guard in accordance with the word of the Lord and said to me, Buy the field that is in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, for the right of possession and redemption is yours. Buy it for yourself. Then I knew this was a word from the Lord. It goes on in in verse 9. And I bought the field at Anathoth for my cousin Hanamel, and I weighed out the money to him, 17 shekels of silver. I signed the deed, sealed it, got witnesses, and weighed the money on the scales. Then I took the sealed deed of purchase containing the current terms and conditions and the open copy, and I gave the deed of purchase to Baruch, son of Neriah, son of Maseah, in the presence of my cousin Hanamel, in the presence of the witnesses who signed the deed of purchase, and in the presence of all the Judeans who were sitting in the court of the guard. In their presence, I charged Baruch, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Take these deeds, both the sealed deed of purchase and this open deed, and put them in an earthenware jar, in order that they may last for a long time. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Houses and fields and vineyards shall again be bought in this land. Now this is common sense. But buying land when a country is about to be overrun and placed into captivity is not only a waste of time, but it's a waste of money as well. It's a waste of time and money unless, unless you believe that your God is a promise keeper and a redeemer. Jeremiah was able to purchase this land and and hold on to a remembrance, hold on to a promise. He bought that land 
believing that a day and a time would come when the nation of Israel would return to that land. And God did indeed keep that promise. Uh, eventually, the Jews were released from Bab Babylonian captivity and were allowed to return to Israel. Now, if you want to read more about that, you're going to want to go to the, the books of Ezra, Nehemiah. But see, Christmas is also a time that we celebrate other aspects of that promise. The promise that a great king and a high priest would rise up from the lineage of David. I hope you know, but if you don't, let me tell you, Jesus is the fulfillment of that great promise. Jesus is our great king and our high priest. Let me read you two scriptures. The first is from Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 32. It says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God into a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, the house of David. That's the first clue. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord will give to him the throne, the, the kingdom of his ancestor David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob, not just for a little while, but forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And then let me read one other in, in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. It says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, who is unable to really connect with our pain. But we have one who in every aspect has been tested as we are yet was without sin. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. You see, again, Jesus is the fulfillment. He's the fulfillment of that promise that Jeremiah received. He is our high priest. He is our, our great king. Now, the truth is that our world today is at least as chaotic and full of turmoil as Jeremiah's was. But also, I think many of us experience the same kind of emotions that Jeremiah might have, might have been experiencing uh, in his captivity. We, we experience loneliness. We experience a sense of betrayal or depression or, or frustration. So I would say, and I would make the case that we are just as in need of a remembrance that God is a promise keeper as Jeremiah did. Now, this is where I'm going to get honest with you. I readily admit that I'm somewhat of a Scrooge when it comes to decorating for Christmas. Now, for, for me, it just it doesn't seem to make sense to risk life and limb to go out on a roof in the freezing cold to hang up some lights. I mean, call me weird, but that just doesn't seem like something that somebody with wisdom would do. Now, I don't like decorating. What, do I, what I have come to really appreciate is the story of Chrismons. Now, as many of you know, I did not grow up Methodist. So when I began to serve in Methodist churches and I heard people talking about Chrismons, I honestly thought they were just mispronouncing Christmas. But over time, I learned that no, Chrismons are actually a unique 
part of our, our Christmas lineage. See, Chrismons were developed in 1957 by Francis Spencer and the women of the Ascension Lutheran Church in Danville, Virginia. And Chrismons literally means Christ monogram or Christ symbols. They are traditionally gold and white. They look a lot like this. And they are designed to be symbols that point us to Christ. Now this is one chrismon. There are many, many chrismons, but this is one that I think would be a great one for us to focus on this Advent season. It's the chrismon anchor. Now we all know what, it, when, what an anchor does, but have you ever thought about what an anchor symbolizes? See, the anchor symbolizes a promise that holds you in the midst of storms. When sailors throw the anchor overboard, they're, they're clinging to the promise that when that anchor hits bottom, it's going to hold them secure and keep them safe despite everything that's going on around them. They're putting their hope in a promise. And so this Advent season, I hope that we will be reminded to put our, our hope in the promises of, of Jesus, our high priest and our great king. I want to read one last scripture to you. This is found in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 17 through 20. It says, In the same way, when God, desired, when God desired to show even more clearly the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it by an oath, so that through two unchangeable things in which it is impossible that God would prove false, we have taken refuge, might be strongly encouraged to seize the hope to set before us. We have this hope as a sure and steadfast anchor for our soul, a hope that enters the inner shrine beyond the curtain where Jesus, a forerunner on our behalf, has entered, having become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. The birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is our hope. Our hope that a day is coming when our great king and our high priest will make all things right. Through his grace and through his justice, he will make all things right. And we can cling to that hope because I hope you see today through the teachings of Jeremiah and the prophecy of Jeremiah that our God, our Father, is trustworthy and true. He is a promise keeper. Now, as we enter into this, this season of Advent, I want to encourage you this week to get creative, to find a way to incorporate the anchor symbol into your, your Christmas tree or your Christmas decor. It could be as simple as just taking some pipe cleaner and shaping it into an anchor, but find a way to incorporate an anchor as a reminder this Advent season that God is a promise keeper and so we can have hope in him. God bless you.